This is part four of our series called Fathered by God. Um, We opened with just kind of an overview of God and his love for us and that we're his kids, that we're made in his image. And we looked a little bit at the story of Adam and Eve and some things that that shows us about how he loves us and fathers us. And then in the second week of our series, we moved into Luke chapter 15. And we looked at the story that's commonly called the, the story of the prodigal son, But really, it's about two lost sons, the older brother and the younger brother, who have some broken relationship with the father. And so really, the story is about the loving father. And it shows how he loves us and works to redeem our lives and bring us into right relationship with him. And then two weeks ago, we covered part three, and we started to look at how God is now inviting us to learn how to love like he does, to love sacrificially, and that that's It's a process. It's a journey. And so we looked at the story of Cain and Abel and how God will, he'll teach us how to love. He'll warn us when we're in danger and there's trouble. And he'll even correct us when we're off track. But all of those things, his teaching, his warning, his correction, they are motivated by love. And the way he disciplines us is in a loving way. may not feel like it, but he disciplines us in a loving way. And the purpose of all of that is to help us to learn how to love, to learn how to become more like him. So that's the ground we've covered up to this point. So um, I want to read a short passage this morning, Mark chapter 4, verse 26. It's a parable Jesus told. It's, It's a little less talked about or known than the classic parable of the sower. You know, the classic parable of the sower where the seed goes on all the different types of ground. This one doesn't quite get talked about as often, I don't think, but it's, it's important and it sets the tone for where we're going this morning. So Mark's gospel, chapter four, starting in verse 26. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and arise by day and the seed should sprout and grow and he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We're going to talk this morning about the power of unseen growth that happens below the surface over a long period of time. The power of of unseen growth that happens below the surface over a long period of time. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you you are truly our father, that we are your sons and your daughters. And God, our, our desire this morning and always is to better understand who we are, who you are, and how you're calling us to live. God, I I pray that we could see your grace on our lives. We could see your love that is your banner over us. God, that we would recognize your presence and your activity, that you're always with us. Lord, help us to understand how we can live in your home, how we can make our home in you and learn from you and, and grow as we're guided by you, our good heavenly Father. Jesus, thank you that you loved us so much that it was your desire that we could be fully reconciled to your Father. 
you were amazed by his love and you knew we needed it. And you knew that he was good and loving and wonderful and that would be for our benefit to have him as our father. And so Jesus, thank you for making, making the way for us. It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're gonna talk about growing in grace today. Growing in grace. And I wanna acknowledge what that parable shows us, that there is a mystery to growing up in God's family. There, there's a mystery to it. We, he, he plants us, he places us in a family, and then the longer we're just there and we're around him and we marinate in his presence, little by little, step by step, we grow. And so I'm, I'm acknowledging that there's a mystery to it, but I, I believe that Jesus lived out the reality of this parable in his relationship with God. I believe that fruit that we saw in Jesus' life as he moved into his ministry, that that fruit and the harvest that it brought was the direct result of him being planted and rooted and growing in his relationship with his father. Have you ever considered the ratio of how Jesus spent his time on earth? He spent 30 years that is relatively unseen growing in his relationship with the Father. 30 years. He spent three years and some change, maybe three and a half, actually where we see fruit from that, where we see him having an impact in the world around him. Think about that ratio. What if your college experience was that same ratio? 10 years for every one year of ministry. What if you went to school for 40 years in order to work for four years? Think about the level of growth and development that's taking place. Think about how much time has passed that Jesus is seemingly doing nothing. And yet God's up to something in his life. Now, uh, to set the scene for this, we're primarily going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. In a few minutes, we'll put the scripture on the screen. But to, to kind of lead us up to this moment, um, Jesus, um, or I should say Mary, is pregnant with Jesus. And, and we know the story, right? The Christmas story. But I want you to, to hear this, like just laid out really quick. Here's Mary living in Nazareth, betrothed to Joseph. She's pregnant. She's mysteriously heard from an angel and Joseph has had some dreams and they're coming into this awareness of like, we're, we're carrying this special child, the son of God. And so now it's, it's time for her to give birth. And so of course the natural thing to do is go on a long journey. And so think about this. The events in Jesus' early childhood, they moved from Nazareth to Bethlehem there's nowhere there for them in Bethlehem, so he's born in a stable. He's born with animals. Then they do somewhere in there a quick, short journey to Jerusalem and then back to Bethlehem. That had to be fun with just a small baby, but they were fulfilling the law and doing the requirements of the law, so they went to the temple in Jerusalem. They go back to Bethlehem. They find out their lives are at risk, and so they flee to another country, and they go to Egypt. And they're in Egypt for a while, hiding out in a foreign land. Like, like, consider this. 
God's son is born into a world of, first of all, a form of slavery because the Roman Empire was ruling. Then he's like this traveling outcast and nomad. His life is being threatened and he's a refugee. Does that sound like the ideal roadmap everybody's kind of mapped out for their families and having children? And I, I don't think so. And yet, in the midst of this, God's grace is upon this family and specifically upon this child that he's fathering. And even in the midst of these crazy circumstances, we see God's hand doing what fathers do. We see that Jesus' life is celebrated. I was, I was so bummed I missed the birth of the Penfield's latest boy. Um, can't wait to see them and celebrate. But birth, it comes with celebration. The child was celebrated. And then we see God's hand providing for Jesus. We see his hand guiding them, even in the midst of not understanding what's happening, even in the midst of terrible circumstances. We see his guidance and his protection. These are things that parents do. We celebrate our kids. We protect them. We provide for them. We guide them. I know it's hard sometimes to map this over, but I want you to consider the fact that in our faith journey, in our walk with God, that there is a period of time where we are like infants. Let me think about that. How much control did Jesus have over these circumstances in his life? Could he arrange for his own guidance and protection and help? No. His young life was entrusted into the care of another that saw clearer than him, that was stronger than him and bigger than him. Listen, we need to consider that in our walk with Jesus, there's, there's a period of time where we're like infants in our faith. And and. It's right and good that we should just entrust ourselves into God's hands. And the reality is whether we see it or not, his grace is upon us. And so as this period of his life is kind of winding down and coming to a close and his family can finally return to Nazareth, he's, he's probably around two or three years old at this point. I mean, he's just, just a little toddler. They're coming back into Nazareth and now it begins to describe um, that time period from toddler till about 12, where we're going to pick up the story. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, um, beginning in verse 40, they've settled back into Nazareth. And Luke writes, and he says, And the child grew, and he became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Even before he was old enough, to understand what the grace of God meant, the grace of God was on his life. So three things are said about him here. Number one, it says that he was strong in spirit. That word spirit is the word pneuma. It's the same word that's used to describe the, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, his breath in our life. So Jesus grew strong in the spirit. It means he was not only um, aware of the presence of God, it was familiar to him. It was, it was foundational. It was elemental. It was right there in his everyday life. And he became so familiar with the spirit and the presence of God that he got strong in that area. That means the presence of God was, was welcome in his home. 
Y'all catching that? Yeah? Secondly, it says that he was filled with wisdom. This word wisdom, it means skill. It means cleverness. Um, it means expertise. It means expertise. In other words, as he's growing up in his home, he's learning information. That's knowledge. But he's taking that knowledge and he's learning what to do with it. He's learning how to use it. It's, it's being modeled for him. And he has opportunity to practice. Listen, you can gain knowledge by observing. You cannot gain wisdom until you put it into practice. I can watch the Food Network all day long and gain a lot of knowledge on how to cook and, and really kind of take in some ideas. But until I get in the kitchen and start using those same tools, I'm not growing in wisdom because I'm not becoming skilled in the area of cooking. Does this make sense? This is what children need. We need the presence of God, the spirit of God in our home. And, and we need to take in information and learn how to use it. And that's what Jesus is experiencing as a young child. This is how God is fathering him. And this is how his parents, Mary and Joseph, are cooperating with what the heavenly father is doing. They put Jesus in a place where he could be strong in the presence of God and where he could grow and learn and use the skills he was developing. The third thing that it says here is that the grace of God was upon him. That explains how the whole thing works. That word grace, it means favor. God's favor was on him. It was on him from a young age. And God's grace and favor enabled him to experience the presence of God. God's grace and favor enabled him to learn wisdom from God, to grow as a young man. It's the favor of God. One of the, one of the main principles I've learned, I'm so grateful for this. I, I heard this originally from Chuck Missler and other Bible teachers in my life have said this, but I've always heard pay attention to the first time that a word shows up in the scripture. This is the first time in the New Testament where the word grace shows up. And it is the favor of God on a young child's life. Isn't that cool? God's favor is upon us. I just, I hope that you can hear this this morning before we go any further. God has planted you right where you are. It is his grace that has planted you there and it is his grace that will enable you to grow right within the circumstances of your life. It does not look to me like God's favor is on Jesus' life when I see his life threatened and him being born in a barn and him living as a refugee in a foreign country. That does not look like grace to me. But God said, my hand was upon him and my grace was upon him. And he had what he needed because you know what he needed? It wasn't about all the circumstances around him. God's grace showed up by his presence being active in Jesus' life. And God's grace showed up because Jesus was able to learn and grow in the wisdom of God. 
We, we need to learn to be planted where he has us and go, okay, God, you've got me here right now. All right. How can I see your spirit and your presence in my life? How do I, how do I become acclimated, acquainted with your regular uh, uh, presence right here with me? God, how do I take the stuff that as a small child in my faith that you're feeding me, that you're teaching me, that you're guiding me in, how do I take those things in and learn to do something with them? God, when you're saying words to me, how do I learn how to say those words back to you? God, yes, you could carry me through life, but you seem to want to put me down and tell me to come here to take hold of your hands. Why, why do you want me to do that? You, you're calling me to learn to walk, to learn. Let, let's position ourselves in such a way to say, God, instead of being so concerned about whether or not I think your grace is on my life because of the circumstances around me or what I'm walking through, God, let me recognize that your grace is your very presence that is growing me and maturing me and inviting me to learn how to use what I'm getting from you. Is this making sense? Yeah? Y'all are really quiet this morning. I hope you're just taking it in and I'm not being confusing. All right. So the story continues now. So Jesus has been planted and immersed in this. And now in, in verse 41, it says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old... He went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Now, I want to stop there just to simply highlight this. It, it, it highlights a larger point. When we are born into the world, we aren't just born into the world. We are born into our parents' world. Do you ever think about that? We were born into our dad's world. We were born into our mom's world. I was born in a house with a dad who loved baseball. So guess what I grew up watching and playing? Baseball. Now, I'm not saying he forced me into that. It just, it's what I knew. It's, it's where I lived. It's in the environment I was in. I was stuck with the Houston Astros because I lived in Houston. And that sounds great now because we won a World Series, you know, not to brag, but we did win a World Series. I'm hoping we win another one this year. But uh, man, it was brutal during my childhood. We were terrible. But I didn't choose it. That's just who I had. And so I immersed myself in it. I collected baseball cards. I learned all the players. I went to the games. I played t-ball in Little League and all of that. I was, I was immersed in my dad's world. And what's happening is I, I was in the world of my parents. In that environment, I was learning how to navigate the real world. Does that make sense? I'm placed in that world, and it teaches me how to navigate in the real world. Well, Jesus experienced this, and so even this rhythm of, hey, every now and then we go to Jerusalem. He was immersed in the law. He was immersed in the structure of, of the customs of the law, of the feasts. When I say the law, that's just old Jewish language for the Bible. They're, what they had in Jesus' day was the Torah and the Old Testament, and they would just kind of call it all the law. It means the word of God. And so he was immersed in his parents' world. I say this for a reason. There is a progression in our walk with God. And we have to learn to crawl 
before we can walk and we can run. Let's not despise the time in our life that's meant to learn the details. Let's give ourselves to learning the word of God. When I'm first learning it, I might not know how all of this is going to play out exactly in my life. When I'm first reading it, I might not immediately make all the connections to how it's going to apply to my life. But I'm taking it in. I'm taking in his word, and I'm living within the family he put me in. So I'm spending time around the family of God. And I'm immersed in this world of his family, and it's getting in me. And it's getting on me. I'm not going to stop there like a toddler, but I am going to take it in. For me to have wisdom, I have to first have knowledge. How am I going to learn how to apply the word of God to my life if I don't know the word of God? And so I've got to learn to take it in, to receive knowledge, to receive information, to spend time in his family and learn from his family. And listen, his family has always been imperfect. I realize there's, there's this beautiful imagery of who Mary was, but like she was an imperfect mom. Joseph was an imperfect dad. Jesus is about to be hanging out in the temple with some imperfect teachers of the law. That's what he had. And by God's grace, he was placed there and planted there, and he was absorbing like a sponge what was available to him. So moving on from being planted Now I want to talk about being rooted, being rooted. So they get there to the Passover and to Jerusalem, and and check out what happens next, Luke 2.43. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered. Can you all say lingered? The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Um, another, another version might say tarried behind. He lingered. This word means to remain, to abide. It even means to endure. As children, that's what we do at mom and dad's house. <laughs> we abide there. We remain there. And sometimes it feels like we're just enduring being at mom and dad's house. You know, especially, here's Jesus. He's 12, right? Especially as we start getting into those teenage years, those formative years where, you know, we've learned some stuff and we're starting to have some wisdom. We're starting to think, man, I kind of think I'm learning how things should really work around here. I got some ideas of some ways things can be a little bit better. Mom and dad's imperfections are starting to become more real to me. I'm seeing them more clearly and I'm becoming more aware of what I would do different, right? That's that's, that's the, what kind of happens below the surface here. And so Jesus chose this. He chose to linger. He chose to abide and to endure and to hang out at the temple. It literally means to remain under. It's like there's a covering and he said, I'm going to hang out right here. Jesus is participating with this growth process. So what does lingering look like? The scripture describes it for us. After his parents go into a panic and they spend a couple of days looking amongst their caravan and realizing he's not with them on the way back home, they hustle back to Jerusalem. They're looking all through Jerusalem. And finally, three days later, verse 46, now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst 
of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. How did Jesus linger? He positioned himself to learn. It's so easy for us when we start getting a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of information, when we start getting a handle on how we think things work, to leave behind the mindset of a learner. That is a dangerous place to be. When we think we've got it all figured out, and now I can just, I've got a tractor on it, I'm just going to run on it, we're in trouble. We've actually capped growth. But God invites us to linger with him, to remain with him, to come under his guidance and direction. And what Jesus does, the way he does that, is he listens. This has been said before, it's not a new thought, but there's a reason we have one mouth and two ears. There's an emphasis being placed there. Let's position ourselves to listen. And here's the cool thing. The way Jesus is progressing in his growth is he goes from listening to asking questions, to asking informed, thoughtful questions. It means that he has sat and considered what he's taking in, and he's realized there's more here for me. There's more to be unpacked. There's more to be understood. It's, it's what happened with the disciples and Jesus. Jesus would teach in these parables to all the people, and when he was done teaching, everybody would just be sitting there scratching their heads going, what is he talking about? And the disciples would come to him later and go, hey, what was that parable about? The dude that was throwing seeds everywhere? Why, why was he doing that? Why was it on the, the road and the thorns? and I, What? They, they asked follow-up questions, and it caused them to gain understanding. There's a progression in our lives from knowledge to wisdom to understanding. There's a progression in our lives. I was joking about Food Network earlier, but I just feel like this is a, a great picture of this. Knowledge is when I'm a little kid and I see a stove in the kitchen. And at first, all I know is that's hot, it'll burn me. So I shouldn't touch it. Is that all the information there is to have about the stove? No, I joked about this a few weeks ago, right? But at that early age, that's all that matters. Don't burn your hand. That's what matters. Then as we get older, we start to realize that thing is producing stuff that I like to eat. Or maybe the delivery man is. Uh, Depends on what kind of house you grew up in. But that is producing stuff that's good to eat. And as I get older, I begin to realize that there's like these knobs and these buttons and they control the temperature and Different things go into the pan or into the oven. And and so we start to gain some knowledge about how that works. And then we move into a place of wisdom where I start to learn how to use it. And so I'm the one controlling the knobs and cooking the eggs. And mom and dad are letting me gain some wisdom as I'm learning how to use the knowledge I've been given. That's great. That's wisdom. A lot of Christians settle for that. We settle for just kind of being okay, kind of clunky with stuff. But God wants to invite us to linger, to remain, 
to become experts in his family. And that's where we move into a place of understanding. That's where an apprentice starts to become a master. See, Jesus will eventually be called what these guys are called. These are rabbis that are teaching him. And he's positioning himself as an apprentice so he can move towards becoming a master, a teacher that can help others. This is going from being able to cook a few things in my kitchen to being Bobby Flay, to being Gordon Ramsay or Pioneer Woman. I don't know. Pick your favorite. That's someone who has understanding. They've mastered their craft. That's what it means to be fathered by God and to grow in grace is that he moves us from knowledge to wisdom to understanding. And so let's learn to linger like Jesus did. Let's choose to position ourselves to ask questions and to see what he wants to say to us. Understanding followed inquisitive learning. Understanding followed inquisitive learning. They were amazed by the questions he was asking because it showed that he had a level of understanding. All right. For time's sake, I'm going to skip the Jeremiah verse. There's a great verse in Jeremiah that talks about choosing to position ourselves to trust God and be planted and rooted in him and learn from him or settling for our own wisdom and knowledge and it being a, a dry, parched place that leads to desolation. Let's choose to linger. Let's choose to be planted in his presence. Let's, let's choose to position ourselves for the 30 years of learning and then see what God might produce as fruit in our lives on the other side of that. Okay, finally, not only was he planted where God had him, not only did he put down roots by lingering and staying there, but thirdly, he was tended. He, he allowed himself to be tended, pruned, cared for. He allowed people in his life to help shape him. And so verse 48, so his parents walk in and they see him sitting there. And so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? That word must, it means it's necessary. It's right and proper. This is where I ought to be. I positioned myself right where I, I needed it most. More than anything, this is what I need. More than anywhere else where I should be learning is from my father in heaven. Jesus understood the necessity of this in his life. Now, I love this. There, there has been some debate about how this should be translated, where he says, I must be about my father's business. Um, some translators believe it should be, did you not know I must be in my father's house? The most accurate translation is, I must be in the things of my father. The reality is it goes hand in hand. I'm in my dad's house, I'm living in his house, I'm living in his presence, and I'm learning his ways. I've positioned myself to recognizing how necessary this is, and I'm letting him guide me. I'm letting him influence me. 
I'm letting him be in charge. The idea here is that he was more focused on wanting to receive from the Father and what he wanted to give, not what he wanted to get. Let me say that again. Jesus was more focused on what the Father wanted to give him than on what he was hoping to get. That's the picture. I'm in dad's house. I'm around his presence. I'm not showing up with my list of what I'm expecting him to do. God, here's how you can father me right now today. Here's my expectations of you as my father. That's not how he approached it. He came under, he remained under, and he positioned himself. He saw it necessary to be in a place where the father was teaching him his ways where he was learning what his father's house looked like. Man, imagine what our homes would look like, parents, if we positioned ourselves to say, God, what does your house look like? Therefore, what should my house look like? God, is, is my home a place where your presence is welcomed and celebrated and encouraged? God, is my home a place where we're gaining knowledge from you and then we're practicing together how to use that knowledge you've given us. We're growing in wisdom. And God, ultimately, we do this so much together that we're becoming experts in your ways, in what you're like. And our home is starting to look more and more like your home. I believe the journey he's inviting us all on goes back to the story from a couple weeks ago. Whether we're a prodigal or an elder brother, He's inviting us to learn how to become like the Father and to have a house like that. Now, I love what Jesus does next here. So he's, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. But watch how he handles things with his earthly parents. Verse 50, they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Man, if that doesn't capture parenting, I don't know what does. <laughs> There are so many moments where I'm just going, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening with my kids. God, I don't understand what you're up to. Like, I'm lost. They didn't understand. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject. Can you all say subject? He was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. That word subject is closely related to the word lingered. They're closely related. They share a, a similar root. One is translated lingered. The other is translated subject. The idea of lingered means I'm remaining under my father's leadership. The word subject means I'm submitting to. I'm choosing to come under where I've been placed right now. It means being put in your proper place. What that means is, parents, as imperfect as we may be, we're still the proper place for our kids right now. And the Son of God himself submitted to imperfect parents in order to learn the ways of God, in order to grow and mature. Parents, thank God that he uses imperfect parents who still don't understand. I'm grateful for that. It means that wherever we are, we don't have to beat ourselves up. We got to position ourselves spiritually 
where we're asking our kids to position themselves in our homes. I'm going to position myself like Jesus and say, Father, I need you. There's things I still got to learn. And God, there's some wisdom I need to acquire. How do I utilize what you're pouring into my life? And God, how do I grow in understanding so I get better at this? So that, yes, imperfect as I am, I can pass on to my kids. I can father them well, mother them well, the way you're calling me to. So they can receive what they need to receive. But the beauty of this picture is, as imperfect parents, we are this covering that remains for a while, but he presides over all. Jesus didn't stop lingering when he went home with his parents. He remained under the Father's covering. And he learned from the imperfect people that were in his life. If you can't readily identify two or three people in your life that are further along and more mature than you, that you seek out for advice, and that can call you out for things and say some truth into your life in love, then we've rejected an important covering that we need to have. If anything, I'm grateful that I can learn from imperfect people because they can maybe show me as an imperfect person that I am how to have some grace in this life. That God's grace is available to me as an imperfect parent, as an imperfect leader, as an imperfect man, but that his grace will help me to grow. And so this is what Jesus did. He submitted himself to the Father and he submitted himself to his parents. Because he did that, he was able to navigate the transition that we all go through where we move from being parented by imperfect parents into being parented by the perfect heavenly father. See, the beauty is if we're sitting here this morning going, man, I wish my parents had heard this. That's all right. You're hearing it. And the perfect, loving, heavenly father, he wants to pour out grace on your life. His hand of grace is already on your life. You are favored by him. And he is giving you as much of his presence as you're willing to hang out and linger in. And by learning to live in his house and in his family, he will move you from knowledge to wisdom to understanding as you grow. And if you're in a position where you are influencing and leading others, maybe young lives in your own home, as you are imperfectly figuring out how to navigate that journey, He'll hold your hand while you hold theirs. And we grow together a step at a time. That's how he wants to father us. Now the story ends with one verse. And if we'll take note, if we compare verse 52 back to verse 40 where we started, there's one noted difference. Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor or grace with God and men. We skip past all too often getting grace and favor from God by trying to just earn it from each other. We want to be highly thought of. We want acceptance and approval. We want the community around us to value us and think highly of us. And what Jesus' life models is that 
That's putting the cart before the horse. That's the harvest. That's the fruit. If I will recognize I've already got all the grace and favor I need, so let me be immersed in it. Let me be immersed in the grace and favor of God. Then watch what that will produce in my life. Let's not rush past that too quickly. Let's not try to skip ahead to the end. Let's position ourselves as children of God to be learners, to linger in his presence, and to watch what he will produce over the long haul when we do that. I won't have to worry about what other people think of me. This is settled and secure, and he'll take care of the rest. Let me learn to be who he's calling me to be. If I try to circumvent or microwave this process, I will find myself living life on shifting sand. But he intends for our lives to be built on the rock. And when our home is built on the rock, it'll withstand a whole lot. It'll withstand a whole lot. Let's position ourselves to grow in grace by being planted in his presence and in his word, by being rooted in, in the word of God and participating in his family. And let's allow the perfect father and the imperfect father figures, mother figures, leaders in our lives to help tend us in love, in care for our benefit. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your great love for us. God, I thank you that you are in it for the long haul. God, I pray that we could see your hand of grace on our lives in the midst of all sorts of circumstances, many of which are difficult and are trying and seem to last forever. But God, the truth is, you are present with us in all of it. And God, you long to help us grow and be strong in your spirit. And God, to grow and develop in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so we can become who you've made us to be, so we can live in this house, so that our homes would look more like your home. God, we love you, and we trust you, and Lord, I pray that we would learn to live in that love, and we would learn to position ourselves to trust you more each day. That as we, as we plant ourselves, as we are rooted, as we give ourselves into your hands, that there's all kinds of stuff going on below the surface that we can't explain and we don't understand, but we're trusting that it's producing fruit, that there's a harvest coming. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.